John of All Trades Podcast, episode 217. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And man, I don't always like saying this because I don't want anyone else to feel bad, but this is one of the most fun times I have ever had on this show. I went into this with almost no expectations because until, I don't know, a week ago, I didn't even know this guy. I'd never met him. He reached out through the website and he said, hey, I'm coming into town. I'd like to be on your show. And I go, okay, great. I looked him up a little bit. I go, yeah, this will be fun. I had no idea what was coming. And this episode is packed. We cover so much real estate in this show. It is insane. My guest is Nick McQuick. And Nick McQuick is a comedian. He's an entrepreneur. He's a former mechanic. He's a former heavy-duty mechanic. He studied kinesiology. He was a former personal trainer. He has insights into entrepreneurship, creativity, nutrition, hustle. It's all here. It's amazing. Literally, this episode just flew by as I was recording it. I could not believe when I looked down at the clock that we were approaching time as fast as we were because this conversation was just a delight. Is it Nick's friendly Canadian sensibility? Is it his insights into entrepreneurship, into nutrition, into comedy? Is it the fact that he brought me a coffee when he showed up and I was wired for the rest of the day and probably still am despite the fact that I recorded this a week ago? That's what caffeine does to me, kids. It's crazy. And the answer to all of those questions is yes. Nick is an incredible individual with a remarkable story to tell. And I can't remember the last time I had this much fun on the show going in, especially not knowing anything about him. The fact that he came in cold and we hit it off like this. Amazing. A wonderful show. And I am so thrilled to bring it to you today. Be sure to check out Nick. He's not terribly active on social media, but go to Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and find more about him there. You can also check out his show. It's on facebook.com slash chew on this. And he'll tell you more about that show as we get into the episode. But like I said, there's an unbelievable amount here. And if you're at the gym or you're going to work or coming home from work or out walking the dog or whatever, I promise the time will fly by as you listen to this. God, what a fun time and what an affirming thing to do on the podcast. We're going to get to his show in just a minute. But first, a couple of quick plugs. First, check out John of All Trades on social media. Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram, all under the same handle, J-O-A-T-Pod. And if you missed Nick's first job, I posted that on the website, but that is also on Facebook only. It is an amazing story. He moved out of his house at 14, got his first apartment, his first job, and it's a first job unlike any that I've ever done, just because the circumstances surrounding it are incredible. So be sure to check that out. Listen to that mini episode before you listen to this one. I'll wait. Here, I'll give you a second. Go pause this and then download that. Welcome back. Great story, right? Secondly, we talk a lot about entrepreneurship on this show. Check me out at my website, Deft Communications, D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. I'm a communications professional with more than 12 years of experience. And if your organization or your business needs help telling its story, I can do that. 
whether that's through the media, through your own internal channels. Maybe you want to communicate better to your employees. I've crafted trainings for all manner of organizations so that everyone in your organization is telling the same story and feels even better about the place in which they work. I also produce podcasts for a number of organizations. I have a couple of new ones in the work. I'm very excited to release those into the world. I got a lot of things in the hopper. And if you want to be a part of that, hit me up on my website, deftcom.us. Now then, let's get to episode 217. I am so excited to bring this one to you. Nick McQuick is an amazing guy. He's a friendly dude, and he's got insights for days about a broad number of subjects. No matter who you are, you are going to get something out of this episode. Episode 217, Nick McQuick starts right now. Yeah, I went to Voodoo Donuts. I, I've been there once in L.A., but I never, I like didn't know they existed anywhere else. Okay, I didn't realize there was one in L.A. I, I knew it started in Portland. We got one here. It's conveniently located next to, what, like a billion dispensaries, right? Oh, yeah. It was like, um, weed's been legal in Canada forever now, and uh, we're cool about it. It's medicine. I've got my medical card. If mm-hmm. I need some, the government will mail it to me, and it can be covered by health care. <laughs> the government mails you weed? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's like we have uh, the government. We've got a couple companies and everything, but there's a lot of government regulation to make sure it's all safe and it is what it should sure. be. Sure, yeah. It's tested, quality, all that. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot less capitalism involved in it. But here, um, you <laughs> you guys just got a little crazy with that, didn't you? Uh, just a bit, yeah. It's uh, And I was talking to someone who's in the industry, and their main frustration, the industry is catering toward the people who can no longer get stoned. Yes. So it, it's like going to some guy living behind a building looking for like 180 proof gin, mm-hmm. you know, because he can't catch a buzz anymore. Well, I think that the the thing is a lot of people will smoke weed and smoke weed every day and everything. And I'm a big fan. Do what you want to your body, 100% free. But if you smoke and it takes more and more and more to get you to where you want and then you're not even getting to where you consider normal – uh, maybe try just a couple days without. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> if you're dependent on it. <laughs> yeah. The, the dosage is probably wrong. And I think you've, you've closed past the sale in terms of solving the problem that you're oh, trying yeah. to solve. So, and I mean, that's also a bad business model if you're pandering to an ever increasing right. like, purity of products, because then you're going to start alienating a newer generation or new people coming into that market. Yeah. So you're Canadian. How often do you make it down to the States? Oh, about four or five times a year. Okay. Mostly like just traveling around, doing vacations or like working, seeking uh, comedy? That I, kind do, of thing? I do uh, my standing up comedy presentations every so often. I get booked for corporate events and stuff and come down and do my ha-has. And, uh, but the wife really likes to come down on vacations. Nice. Um, she, uh, we went to San Diego uh, a little while ago. We went to New York. Uh, she had never been to Denver. And I am a big fan of Denver. Yeah. So I was like, oh, well, let's come on down and I'll show you around. Well, I'm a Denver native, so I'm a big fan of this city as well. You mentioned you do corporate gigs. Uh, so do you mostly work clean then? I mostly work clean, yes. Most of my, uh, most of what I talk about on stage is 7-Eleven and hot dogs. Uh, <laughs> I saw a YouTube clip this morning. Oh, yeah. I, I was looking you up, yeah. That old one, that's like five years old, but yeah, I talk yeah. at length about food, hot dogs, Wendy's, 7-Eleven. Uh, we don't have Chick-fil-A in uh, Canada. Okay. We don't have a lot of, uh, restaurants that you guys have here. 
So uh, I'm very excited to come down here and try out all the stuff. <laughs> Have you hit good times here in Denver? Yeah, good times. I had some custard. That was Not bad. delicious. I like the wild fries. Mm-hmm. The, I mean, those are pretty good. I, I haven't tried the wild fries yet. Yeah, I mean, those are just spiced French fries. They're... Okay, well, that's probably what I'm going to do after the podcast. <laughs> all right. Perfect. There's a good time. Actually, it's being remodeled, the one right by my house. So yeah. hmm. anyway, this is Nick McQuick. You are a podcaster, comedian, former auto mechanic. Yeah. And uh, not current auto no, mechanic, right? Well, kind of. I just went up to the ice roads on ice road truckers oh, no as kidding. a mechanic. Uh, but that's not my normal job. <laughs> yeah. What so, was that like? That, uh, see, the thing is, Canadians, we have a different way of telling the temperature. So the coldest it was was minus 62, mm. which is very cold. <laughs> and, uh, your exposed skin freezes in about two minutes. Yeah. So there was a lot of diesel going up to the mines. Uh, a caddy was one of the big mines up there. And, uh, we had to do maintenance on all the tractor trailers and just make sure everything was running smooth. We had a, a tent that we worked in. We didn't have a paved floor to work on. We didn't oh, have geez. most of the tools, a lot of tools we had to make on the fly. And every day you worked a minimum 12 hour day. And then they would put you in a shuttle and drive you back to where you live and then pick you up and you'd go back and you worked 12 hours every day. Uh, like long 12 on, 12 off, like an oil rig yeah, worker? Yeah. Uh, for the entirety of the ice road, which is two months. Jeez. The longest day I worked was 33 hours. Yo. Yeah. That's a long day, man. Yeah. After about 26, I fell asleep in the truck that I was I was working on once I got the heat working and then woke up and went back to work. Cause, wow. Yeah. Wow, that's wild. I haven't, I haven't been a mechanic before that for a few years. Okay. But my, my former apprentice, uh, got in there and he offered me the job, so. Wow, good money? Uh, ridiculously good <laughs> money. You're being paid by, uh, the company Ventures West, which services the road. You're being ca- paid by, uh, Talichow, which is a Native American tribe that owns the ice road. You're being paid by Diet Chow, which is the Native American tribe that owns the mine. You're being paid by De Beers, which is the diamond mine. Right. And you're being paid by, I think it was TLC. <laughs> Jeez. Every day. And all your food is taken care of. Your place is taken care of all your bills. So are you like, so you said you did that for two months. Yes. And <laughs> I mean, are you pretty set for like a year at this point or like, oh, uh, like how long will that carry you? I, I mean, my financial, I've always been financially well off. I basically did that for the experience. Okay. And because I, I'm always curious, like if I still have it as a mechanic, cause that's sort of how I, I broke out. Because I, I initially I went to school for uh, kinesiology, which is the science of muscles and how they move. And body and, movement, yeah. Yeah, health and nutrition and stuff. And uh, my my thought process was we don't really have a user's manual for a body, so I might as well figure out how this works. Sure. So I did that, and I really liked it. I worked as a personal trainer, and uh, I worked as a physiotherapist assistant for a while, and I despised it. Cause really? Because I would tell people how to fix them, and they wouldn't listen. Or they would do half of what they needed to and right. then move on. So it was very upsetting. And then my friend said, hey, do you want to be a come be a mechanic? So I went and I was an automotive mechanic. Wait, I just got to pause on that real okay. quick. Because kinesiologists, you know, people not doing what you tell them to do. One of the things that I'm told is one of my better qualities is that I'm coachable. And yeah. when I herniated a disc in my lower back uh, two years ago, yeah. I went to physical therapy and she said, look, I don't have magic hands here. Okay. Yeah. The work is going to be done by you. I go, just tell me what to do. Yeah. I'll do it because I can't deal with this. And when I went and talked to a back surgeon, he said, what do you do? 
And I'm like, I'm self-employed. He goes, I could have guessed that. Mm-hmm. Because the people who are self-employed, they got lots to do. Mm-hmm. And they can't just be laid up like this. So he's like, you've been going to phys- physical therapy? I go, yeah. And he's like, yeah, I could have guessed that too. And so he's like, you're not a good candidate for back surgery. But that yeah. was a frustration expressed by them, by dentists, by everyone, right? Because it's like, look, there are some best practices here. Every body is unique. Mm-hmm. But if you do this work, you're going to avoid problems. Well, like for let's say if somebody came in for a herniated disc, I would give them like a lot of uh, rotational work for the core and strengthening for the core. I'd give them a lot of exercises to retract and depress the scapula and try align the spine in the proper way. Basically, you take the upper rib cage and your hips and try and take those two circles and line them up, mm. and then it creates sort of a natural strength and takes a lot of load off of the back. And I tell people this, and I'd give them exercises and say, do this for 16 weeks, and they do it for four weeks, and they'd start to feel better and yeah. be like, I'm done. <laughs> That's good enough. And then they would come back and be like, oh, it's happened again. And it's like, well, yeah. you didn't finish it. So <laughs> right, you didn't see it to completion. Yeah. As soon as it alleviates a symptom, usually they stop. Right. And it was so frustrating. And then, yeah, I, I just, I couldn't do it. And the money wasn't that great. Really? Yeah. $25 an hour Canadian. And wow. the clinic that I was working at was charging for physiotherapy, uh, 75 an hour. Mm. And, uh, then the, uh, personal training thing you were the client was paying a hundred dollars an hour and you were making 25 so good god man that those splits don't seem right that's where i first kind of like little sparks of an entrepreneurial spirit started to come sure yeah and then i went and i became an automotive mechanic and uh the way an apprenticeship works in canada i don't know if it's the same here but you work for 10 months and two months of the year you go to school. And so I, I did this. And when you come back from school, you're guaranteed a raise. They have to pay you because now you're a second year, a third year, a journeyman. So I went to school and I was at first making $17 an hour. And I came out and they were going to give me 19 So what I did was I saved the difference. And then I went again and I saved the difference. And okay. I went again and I saved the difference because I knew – from all of the mechanics that I'd worked with, they said they couldn't quit. They couldn't get a different job because they couldn't find anywhere. They were stuck in the golden handcuffs of success. <laughs> right, yeah. So I didn't want that. So I had set my value and proved that I could live off of $17 an hour. So I finished up my automotive mechanic. I quit. I became a heavy-duty mechanic. Okay. <laughs> because I wanted to grow. Yeah, the, yeah. I, they're like, here's your journeyman certificate. Now, anywhere in Canada you work, you're guaranteed this much money. And I was like, okay. So same thing with heavy duty mechanic the whole way up. And when I finished heavy duty mechanic, I had saved up enough money that I bought a house, which buying a house without getting a mortgage is very hard. Wait, you saved up enough money to pay for it in cash? Yeah. Wow. Well played. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, the, the whole thing for me was I had always seen so many people, they like, I didn't have a credit card until I was 30. Nice. Because people were always complaining about their bills, complaining about their cost of living. So I just kept my cost of living as low as I could. And anytime somebody was like, oh, we're going out to Malibu. Oh, we're going here. We're going there. I was like, well, for what? Yeah. And I mean, that it's kind of unhealthy because you should have fun in your life. You should sure. go out on vacation. But I, I just wanted to have such a secure future. I was very fear-based. Okay. Yeah, I, I'd say that's interesting because this year I went through – a real downturn in my business and I've talked about it on the show, but that was hard. And when you don't have a cushion for that, you can't accommodate for that because life is going to just beat you up from time to time and and having something in the bank to fall back on too few people. I think there's a stat in in the U S like an absurd percentage of people can't wouldn't know how to handle like a $400 emergency. 
Yeah. I think it's like less than 30% have $700 in the bank. Yeah. That's crazy. I know. That's wild to me. Like just live in the high wire like that. Get out of here. But also I remember growing up 18, we could drink at 18 in Canada. We'd go to the bar, me and my friends and everything. And I would look and every weekend I was spending a hundred dollars. Oh yeah. All right. That's easy to do. Yeah. So I just, I stopped. I still drink, but like very seldomly and usually something nicer than just going to the bar and getting wasted. Mm-hmm. But what I did was because I, I I've always been a fan of books, audiobooks. I still go to the public library all the time. Edmonton Public Library is uh, 2014 best library in North America, so it's incredible. I rent audiobooks. I listen to audiobooks. I was listening to audiobook driving up here. So I grew up very poor. I grew up in a city called Dawson City, okay. which is in the Yukon, uh, which is in the Arctic Circle. Basically, there's what? about <laughs> 900 people and less than 90 women. <laughs> <laughs> And this is this is the part that blows a lot of Americans' mind. At school, we had to bring a pocket knife, and you had to bring your ammunition. The school provided guns, and we would do target shooting, and then we would learn how to make snares and catch rabbits and skin rabbits. We're like six. Right. So, yeah, you had to learn all of these skills, making lean-tos, all of this sort of stuff. Really? Jeez. Yeah, I know. I'm basically Davy Crockett. <laughs> yeah, God, I guess so, man. But then I, I moved to Edmonton, which is one of the major cities in uh, Canada, and that's where all my adulthood happened. Right. But... uh yeah, it was the that experience growing up. Like we didn't have electricity, we didn't have running water, we didn't have a lot of money, of course. So. Well, no, I mean, and if you did, what would you spend it on up there anyway, right? More jackets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, we we really didn't have a lot of money. So I I when I was about halfway through my 18th year of being alive, I uh, stopped drinking. I never started cigarettes. I never really started drugs, and I just I had just read uh, Warren Buffett's book. I think he's got a lot now, but at yeah, the time. Yeah. And uh, I started buying every weekend one stock of Coca-Cola. And I've been doing that now for... Just like one share? Yeah, one share. Nice. Because yeah, it's a dividend-paying stock, so it's a blue-chip stock. So nice. what I did is I set up a reinvestment. So all the money I make from it gets reinvested and buys more. And I obsessed about it for a long time, and now I don't. I don't even look at it. Yeah. It's just making me money. It's doing a great job. I don't touch that money. That's my like later on retirement money. How much? So do you just reinvest the dividends too? Yep. Reinvest all the dividends. And I think it's about 36 now I'm spending a week, which isn't much, but yeah. with compounding interest being the way it is and that being a blue chip, it is making way more money than yeah. my RSP. I started an RSP when I was 15 at my first job. Too. RSP. Uh, registered retirement savings. Okay. Because a lot of people, they're like, oh, I'm just going to get to a certain age and retire. And no, Not exactly. If you're not working at Target, we don't have Target in Canada, and you're <laughs> making like a livable wage and you go to retire, you're going to be making what you would at Target. And it's really hard for people to decrease their spending. Sure. It's much easier for people to increase. Yeah. Well, good for you for supporting Coca-Cola. You've got the Coke Cherry Zero here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't have Cherry Zero in Canada. It's incredible. Wow. Uh, yeah, that's good stuff. Um, I actually haven't drank a soda in a year and a half. That's good. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah, it, it was uh, one of those things. I was on this big health kick, and I just kind of cut that out. Yeah. Just because, I mean, I liked it, but I'm like, what is this doing for me? Yep, it is one of those things. I, I consider it a vice, but also it's one of those things I've researched. It contains aspartame, which if you look at the LD50 of aspartame, it's 50 milligrams per kilogram of body weight. Okay. So I having a background in like the research of health and nutrition and everything. And I always am looking at what I'm taking in Yeah, and I'm very curious about it. So sure. 
that's uh, one thing I was talking to uh, my friends. I, my, they raised my godson and uh, Vincent, and he said, "What's the what's the most important thing?" And I said, "Ask questions, be curious." And if somebody yeah. tells you that it's not important, it's because they don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. Mm-hmm. So you've had a fascinating journey here from growing up in this tiny town in the Yukon. And is this one of those places where it's summer, like it's daytime all summer? Yep. And daytime all summer, nighttime all winter. Um, and there's about two police. Dawson City is famous. Uh, the bar in Dawson City has a drink called the Sour Toe where they put a dead person's toe in a glass of whiskey. Uh, okay. I think I've seen this on some like travel show before. Yeah, that's what my town is famous for. Yes. Somebody stole it a while ago, and then the police caught the person. Oh, all right. <laughs> yeah, that's the most exciting thing to ever happen there. Not, not famous for your creek, though. No. That's a different Dawson. Dawson. Dawson's Creek is in Alberta, which is, oh, my God, it's hard. I'm going to say 1,000 miles south. Okay. Yeah, that's plenty. Yeah. <laughs> so, because uh, Edmonton, where I'm from, is 1,250 miles north of here. All right. And then Dawson City is about 1,600 miles north of there. Wow. So, like, a sixth away, like, if you were to do the circumference of the Earth. Oh, yeah. That's like a sixth of the way up there. Yeah. It's a completely different. Like we got mosquitoes so big they pick up babies and fly away with Gross. them. Gross. <laughs> yeah. Um, the Youpers, who uh, are this comedy band from Northern Michigan, they had a song called Chiquito War. Yeah. And that was a mosquito crossed with a chicken. Oh. That kind of deal. Yep. They, Gross. Up there, it is. It's crazy. You'll sunburn at 3 a.m. You'll freeze to death. <laughs> yeah. There's, the, it's a historical site, so they don't pave the roads. Okay. So it looks like it's 1808 still. Wow. All right. Well, that yeah. sounds fun. I don't know what the odds are of me making it up. Don't. There, but, okay. Don't, <laughs> Just don't bother. Go. It's terrible. So <laughs> you managed to escape. You did, uh, all this mechanic work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, kinesiology, hated it, became a mechanic, became a heavy duty mechanic. What got you into comedy? Uh, I, Went and saw a comedy show, and it was early on in my heavy-duty career, and I met a comedian named Sam Tripoli. He was there, and I stayed after the show and talked to him, and he asked how long I had been doing comedy for, and I'm like, well, I don't do comedy. And then he waved the manager over and signed me up for an open mic. Why? Just based on your conversation? Just based on my conversation with him. You were blowing him away. I get, yeah. Do you remember what you were saying to him? Uh, so I remember I was talking to him about... uh him being, because we were at West Hamilton Mall, which is the largest mall in North America. Mm-hmm. And he was like, so what do you guys do here? And I was like, well, we've got a, a golf course in the mall, and we've got a driving range on the roof, and we've got a gun range in the mall. And he goes, you have a gun range in the mall? And I go, I know in America you got to bring your own guns, but we bring them, <laughs> we have them here. And, and then he asked how long I was a comedian. And I'm, oh. like, I'm not. And yeah, turns out I was. <laughs> not bad. All right. So yeah. signed you up for an open mic. How did you develop your, your material then, man? I was terrible to begin with. I was really bad. My first joke I ever told was, I like drag racing. I just don't look good in a dress. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So a lot of groaners and stuff. Like I get it. There's a joke in there. Yeah. But it was, it was a lot of premises. And the first time I ever did uh, stand-up comedy... At that time, I was doing uh, the safety presentations for work. So I was okay. getting up in front of all the other mechanics and doing the safety presentations. So I was quite comfortable as a public speaker. Yeah. But it was a different thing because I had to be a public speaker and elicit an emotional response. Yeah, that's tough. Mm-hmm. And when you're public speaking in an environment like that, I know I used to do trainings when I was in my corporate gig Yeah. all the time. I did probably 35 of them, and they ranged from like half a day to sometimes we were doing like three days interactive. And I had this one and this guy, like there was this video that we showed about how to like stay on message. 
he was an idiot and he's just like, our campaign's gonna stay focused on lowering gas prices, creating American jobs, and whatever the third thing was. <laughs> and it, and so the interviewer goes, so do you accept this endorsement? There was this group trying to endorse him for his campaign. Yeah. And he's like, our campaign's gonna stay focused on increasing American jobs, lowering gas prices, and, well, and so he was, he was a robot. And, and so he goes, uh, so the interviewer goes, so no comment. And he goes, our campaign's going to stay focused oh. on. And so it's, it's a cringer, <laughs> dude. But the joke that I always tried out that never landed. I'm like, it was better than his previous campaign slogan, which was oil can. Wizard of Oz reference? Yeah. 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 So never got a laugh. <laughs> wow. Yeah, uh, because I'm like, come on, no one, not one chuckle. And I looked over at my partner who I was doing this with, and she's like, I told you, man, the joke never works. Mm-hmm. I'm like, eh, well, what are you going to do? But There's pe- people aren't there. Well, yeah, I mean, people weren't, you know, kind of expecting that, you know, like oh, an yeah. oblique, obscure, old pop culture reference at that time. There, but there's a big strength in, like, going up in front of people and failing oh, and yeah. just being comfortable with that failure. Yeah. Because that's when I, back to when I was a heavy duty mechanic, uh, people would bring in trucks and I worked on a lot of Kenworth T800s and stuff and they'd bring them in and I'd have to diagnose them, which is something, that's the part of the job that I loved was finding out the problem, figuring it out. Sure. So I'd get in there and it would come in for brakes and I'd fix the brakes and be like, Hey, it needs a new torsion arm, new drag link. It needs all these new steering components. And they would say, Nope. And I go, well, why not? And I said, the customer came in. This is what the customer wants. This is what you have to do. You have to give your customer what they want. So I was like, okay. So I started coming into work an hour early, and I would punch out in the middle of the day and go to the business meeting with all the managers. Mm. So I would be unpaid (laughs) in the meeting. And it was basically an internship. I wanted to learn as much as I could. So cut to me being a journeyman mechanic. I go up to this cable TV show, and it's a political talk show. And they bring on uh, elected officials, and they talk about current events and everything. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting there. It's very dry. They keep having technical difficulties. I write a bunch of jokes. I walk on to the stage. Security stops me. And I go, hey, I wrote some jokes. And the host, Mike Nickel, who's city councilor, yeah. waves me over, and I give him some jokes. And he goes, oh, these are good. And he reads them, and they have a good episode. <laughs> and then he comes up to me after, and he goes, hey, do you want a job? And I said, yeah. Nice. So I like what kind of jokes were you writing for this political program? Oh, that that's the hard part because the host has to be politically neutral. So yeah. I have to write jokes from the left, jokes from the right, and jokes down the middle. Perfect. And I that was I communicated with him. I said, What do you want? And he said, I want jokes that won't blow back on me. I want jokes that people won't be able to dig up in my past. So I said, Okay. So I just wrote as many jokes as I could. So what I had been doing is writing a joke every single day minimum. And I just open up the news and write as many jokes as I could about the headlines Nice, and just go at that. And then if jokes weren't working on stage, I'd be writing them as sketches. So then this company or this uh, TV show gets picked up by a media company Mm -hmm. and the media company, I have to apply for the job that I just had, which is always (laughs) fun. So I walk in and they go, okay, well, let's look at your writing credits. They're like, oh, you don't have a lot of writing credits. And I said, no, but here's 300 pages of sketches that I've written in the past two months. <laughs> <laughs> and they go, okay, well, you're hired. Wow. So Dude, you are, uh, you are tenacious. What does that come from? That basically comes, I think, from, I grew up hungry. Okay. I grew up so hungry. Literally I, and metaphorically? <laughs> yes, both. <laughs> like, when you grow up in a small town like that, everybody knows you. 
Yeah. Everybody knows your relationship. So if you're a horse thief, everybody knows. <laughs> right. <laughs> but if you are a hustler, if you work hard, then everybody knows. There was a book I read, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. By I Robert know that book. Incredible book. The Metaph- Metaphysics of Quality. Mm-hmm. And it taught me work ethic at a very young age. It taught me. And because so many kids in school, and if young people are listening to this, they're afraid to try because they don't want to be seen failing. Yeah. But that's a fallacy. Victory is a dessert after a long dinner of defeat. You have Mm -hmm. to fail and you have to be comfortable failing. Yeah. And not only that, but JD and I talked about this when I was on his show. And I know you're going to talk to him here in a bit. But uh, he titled my episode Digging the Ditch. Mm -hmm. I'm not afraid to dig the ditch. You know, Mm -hmm. like just get out there and like get the work done because you're right. I like the dessert dinner metaphor because... You know, after you've dug the ditch, people come up and be like, so what have you been working on? It's like, well, go look in the backyard, man. Like, mm-hmm. this is this is what I've been working on. I go, wow, okay, so you've actually been back here working. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. that's what I do. That's how I get good. Well, that's the thing, too, is comedy, you have to make it look effortless. Oh, yeah. yeah. So people don't see all the hard work that goes in and all the failed attempts. Oh, totally. It reminds me of something that uh, Seth MacFarlane said about watching Lady Gaga versus Fred Astaire. Yeah. Right. Lady Gaga's up there. She's sweating. She looks like she's going to take a dump on stage. Yeah. Just like, oh God, like it's, it's so much effort and, and it's kind of gross and you're, it's off putting. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, you'd watch someone like Fred Astaire or Ginger Rogers and they made the whole thing like they're floating on air. They're just gliding. But it took a lot of sweat to get to that. A ton. And falling down and, you know, sore feet and, I, mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine what goes into that, but there's something to be said for, yeah, making it look effortless. Like, yeah, I just got up here and these are all off the top of my head. Yeah. It's, it's hard. And that's why I think a lot of comedies don't win awards and they're mm-hmm. as considered because it has to look effortless. Yeah. Yeah. So my TV personality, I was writing for this show and what I was doing was I was working full time as a heavy duty mechanic. I was doing stand up comedy mm-hmm. and I was writing for this show. So I had a pretty full plate, but. I managed and all the money I was making writing, I was saving. Nice. I, did, I didn't need to spend money at all because like I was, I was doing okay as a heavy duty mechanic. So I had taken all the money that I had made writing and the show was a bit of a success, but then the host wanted to quit because they were coming up on reelection and he didn't want the thing. So he quits and the media company goes, okay, well he quit and a partner just left. So wow. we need to find this. So I said, how much would it cost for me to be a partner? Hmm. And I became a partner once again, fear-based because I wanted to <laughs> buy uh, this job so that I couldn't be fired from this job. Well played. <laughs> secure another revenue stream. <laughs> but the thing I learned there that kind of hurt me in the, the end was if you're working and investing sweat equity in something and you don't have complete control over it, don't invest financial equity hmm. because you won't get the same return. Cause now you, you can work really hard at it, but you're not a majority owner. So you don't get say in the business. Mm, so you're still somebody's employee, but now you're financially locked into it. Yeah. Ooh, that's tough. Yeah. My advantage there, though, was I just bought it, all the paperwork, not any sort of contracts or anything, no compete. So I went to this network called Shaw TV in Edmonton. So now I have a TV show. I'm the host of this TV show. I'm the writer of this TV show. I'm still working as a heavy-duty mechanic, <laughs> and I'm still touring across Canada as a comedian. And then I approach Shaw TV, and I go up to them, and I say... Hey, I want to pitch a TV show to you. And they said, okay, well, what is it? And I said, I want to go around to local businesses and restaurants and stuff and interview people and talk about their struggle. Mm -hmm. And they said, okay, well, that sounds good. Let's have another meeting. We have another meeting and they go, we're not going to, we're not going to take the show. And this is the part that set me apart from other people because I remembered 
when I was an apprentice, they said, nope, we're just doing what the customer wants. You got to make your customer happy. So I said to them, well, you took this meeting. So what sort of show do you want? Yeah. And they said, oh, well, we want a more community oriented show, uh, with a lot of nonprofits and stuff like that. So I said, okay, can I have a meeting in a week? And they said, sure. I went and I paid for a cameraman and a sound guy. And I set up a meeting with a uh, company called Junk for Good in Edmonton that recycles like the, it's one of those, they pull all the, the garbage out of a house and recycle it. And I set up a uh, meeting and did an interview and filmed a show and edited it myself, taught myself, had the meeting, showed it to them, and I got the job. Nice. I got the TV show. So now I have two TV shows <laughs> on competing networks. Oh, nice. And I'm a stand-up comedian, and I'm working as a heavy-duty mechanic. Now, my heavy-duty mechanic schedule was seven days on, seven days off. I had worked it's six twelves and an eight, and then seven days off. Jeez. So, I, I mean, essentially... <laughs> I, I hope you're on whatever like time they're on in Men in Black, where it's like, oh, yeah, it's a 47-hour day. Yep. It was one of those things. I knew I wasn't getting enough sleep, and caffeine has always been the drug of choice for me mm-hmm. to abuse, so I was doing that. And things started to shake and get off the rails, and there was a couple near misses at work. And I thought to myself, Oh, what? Cause you were tired? Like, Cause I was tired. Yeah. Oh, tired. and you're, and you're dealing with heavy equipment and yeah, dealing with oxyacetylene grinders, lots of stuff yeah, like that. So okay. there's a couple near misses and I was like, if this keeps up, something bad's going to happen. And I looked at where I was financially and I was like, okay, I don't need to be a mechanic anymore. Mm. So I walked in and I was like, I want to, I, I like a reduction of my hours. And they said, well, we're uh, starting up a night shift here and we want you to be the night shift uh, foreman. And mm. I said, I can't do that. They offered me a lot of money. I'll, I guess, whatever, $250,000 a year. Jesus. So a quarter yeah, of a million plenty. dollars a year. And I said, no. And they said, can I, well, what do you want? And I said, I, there's no way I'm not doing comedy. And it clicked in my head that no matter what I did in life, comedy was the most fulfilling thing. Yeah, sure. Of course. Yeah. I liked the TV because people came out and saw me do comedy and it gave me a chance to shed light on cool topics and everything. But the comedy, I, I realized that I was missing paid acting gigs to do free comedy and <laughs> I was staying up all night to do comedy and I loved it because there was such a reward. There was an instantaneous gratification of people enjoying a moment and forgetting about how bad life can be. Yeah, it's connecting with people ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. But uh sort of we I guess sort of skimmed over at the big birth of the entrepreneurial thing was 2008. There was a little bit of a recession going on. I don't know if you guys had that too. Uh, a bit, yeah. <laughs> and uh my buddy got laid off. I I was still working and he'd been laid off for about 3 months and he goes, "Man, I can't find a job anywhere. There's nothing going on." So, I got laid off and me and my buddy Steve were like, "There's nowhere. Let's not look for a job. Let's start a job." So nice. we went around and all of these companies were closing down. They were shutting down. I was talking to him and he said, the only job it seems is shutting down businesses. Hmm. So what we did is we went to this company called Rio, uh, Rio can, which is a rental company and they own all of these businesses. And we said, Hey, we own a company. We went and got business cards made. We owned nothing. <laughs> <laughs> we said, Hey, we own a company. And what we do is uh, we clean out the mess and re- make any small repairs, patches in the drywall, yeah, all this yeah. other stuff, and get it ready for a new tenant. And they said, yep. And they paid half the contract up front. We rented the trucks. We rented all the tools. And we paid day laborers. And they did it. And in that year, we made more money than we did as mechanics. <laughs> Jeez, man. Yeah. That's, uh... There's no opportunity except for the one you create. <clears throat> I'm in agreement with that. And what's funny is... I mean, it sounds like most of your stuff has worked, though. 
Like, did you have any misfires? Oh, Rio Can wasn't the first company. I went to lots of companies, okay. and they were like, "No, what the hell?" And like for the TV thing, I pitched to probably six networks okay. before that clicked in my head, where I was like, "Hey, maybe I should just ask them what they want." Yeah, they obviously keep taking me for more meetings. Sure. Because it's funny. I mean, I think about like the Denver Podcast Network didn't exactly go where I wanted it to. Mm-hmm. I started a website that didn't go where I wanted it to. But I mean, we're very similar in the way that like I can't not keep creating. Like yeah. I, I just I have to keep trying. And now I've been at my business now for four and a half years. This podcast has been going for more than five. Has has your definition of success changed over what your business is? Mm. I realize this is a weird conversation to be having with a comedian. <laughs> <laughs> um. Has my definition of success changed? Not necessarily, because people always ask me what my goal was for yeah. my company, and it was to do well enough to where I don't have to go back and work for someone else if I don't want to. Okay. And I, I think that's still sort of where I'm at. So you value your freedom is basically yeah. the big thing, which, I mean, we are in the land of the free. That's right. Uh, <laughs> but like, I find a lot of people that start it, they chase financial numbers. They chase the money and they get caught up in the money and they lose all their hair and they end up hating their job. But your job, like what are, what are the hurdles in your job? Keeping the business coming in the door and, and working on my own is the hardest part. Cause I find in my job, like as a owning part of a media company is I'm not good at editing. I'm not good at sound. Mm -hmm. I'm not good at camera, but you know what I'm good at is asking questions i'm good at talking to people and asking questions so i was like i can't generate any more like any more in this category so i'm gonna hire somebody who can yeah and that was something for me it was finding out when to grow and the biggest problem i've seen with a lot of businesses is somebody trying to control all aspects of it and not trusting or delegating and just getting caught with this paralysis by analysis no i agree with you and i think some people get caught up in the empire building aspect of it yes because that doesn't interest me in the least like there's enough work for all of us out there for all of us to have some success you know i i'm not out to slit any throats i'm not out to build an empire I like what I do. And what's funny is a lot of people don't necessarily like the businesses they start either. Mm-hmm. You know, they're doing it for money. And it's like, okay, how can I grow this to the point where I can then sell it or something like that? Yeah. And to me, that like that's just not how I'm wired. Like, I like the work. I like they- digging in and doing the work. And, you know, I sort of know what my ceiling is. And I'm okay with that. The thing that I always see with businesses is somebody gets a job. Let's say, going back to my past, a mechanic. Right. And they work as a mechanic. They save up their money. They don't like their work, but they're good at it. Mm -hmm. And then they start their own mechanic shop. (laughs) And then the thing is, they're a good mechanic, but they don't know how to run a business. They don't know how to hire people. They don't know how to make contracts, make connections, nurture contracts, grow as a business. And it always seems to fall apart. It seems like people are driven by what they're good at as opposed to what they want. And they end up like resenting their own skills. Dude, that's a great point too, because in any job, like if you're good at whatever it is you do, as you get promoted, you're going to get further away from that actual skill set and just start managing people. Yeah. And and, like, that's a different kind of skills too. Like Mm -hmm. most people aren't trained for that. Yeah. You know, if you're an engineer or like a geologist or uh, a mechanic or something, you know, what do you know about employee relations and keeping everyone happy or, you know, the infrastructure of running a business? Well, and even then the legalities of it, like you have to know when people are guaranteed time off. And I don't know if it works this way, like in America, like when people, probably not when people get (laughs) pregnant or sick, like how that works. (laughs) 
because I know if somebody gets pregnant in Canada, they have to be paid to not work for their. Yeah, no, that's definitely not the case here. That's strange. (laughs) Uh, Yes. And uh, the fact that there are people here who don't think that's strange is even stranger to me. Hmm. I don't I don't want to get too much into the politic. uh, Nor do I. But I, I will say this. America, you guys have so much freedom. Uh, Carl's Jr. just opened in Canada, and they had to close it down because of the menu. And they mm. had to open it up with a new menu. And Carl's Jr. in Canada tastes very different than Carl's Jr. in America. You guys taste so much better. I don't know what a pack of cigarettes costs here, but a pack of cigarettes where I'm from costs $20. 20 bucks. they They're very heavily taxed, and that money goes directly to cancer. Uh, a wow. bottle of Jack Daniels costs $70. Like and what size? Like a uh, – oh, my goodness. What would you guys – 40 ounces – I'm like about a little over a liter. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Oh yeah, like a, like a liter bottle. Okay, you guys know liters. Well, Thank uh, goodness. When it comes to liquor, yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's where your metric system goes. Yeah, because like you'll get you get the 755 ml. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then there's like a, the liter bottle. And okay. Then, and then the yeah. you know there's like the handle, which. Yeah. God, how big is that? Is that like two liters? I, who knows? Yeah, I don't, I don't think we have handles. Um, but yeah, alcohol is very- <laughs> You probably can't buy it in that size. Yeah. Alcohol is very heavily taxed. A lot of our like processed food is completely like you can't, you can't get it up there. Okay. Wow. And for your food and drug administration, somebody can release a product and it'll be sold. And then when somebody dies or is harmed by it, the FDA investigates it. Whereas in Canada, if you want to put a product on a shelf, it has to be investigated before it can be sold. Wow. So like it's mu- and the thing is it's much harder to do business in Canada because of that. Sure. But it protects the people. And because we have so much public health available, we have to protect the people otherwise it gets very expensive. Oh yeah, then, yeah, then your investment is like the investment structure is all messed up. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Interesting. Didn't know we were going to talk about the difference between American and Canadian policy. <laughs> it's but the, but the conversation goes where it goes. Yeah. yeah, it's one of those things that I've been learning a lot about coming down here and just like, oh, I can just start a business and start selling whatever I want. Pretty much. Like, like no government. Like, you guys, it's true. 100% most freedom ever. You're free to do whatever you want and put whatever you want in your body. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Well, I started my business for, I think, like 25 bucks. Wow. Well, you know, like you you have to file with the Secretary of State yeah. um, in whatever state you're in and make sure no one has that business name and... You know, you tell them what you're going to do and then you, you know, essentially that's about all you need to be legally recognized as a business. Wow. Okay. In Canada, that didn't even cost the lunch with the the right. lawyer to get it, the paperwork started. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of government oversight there. It's harder to start a business, but there's a lot more protection and support for it. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those resources exist here, but I don't think they're as obvious and upfront or uh, as part and parcel to the process, maybe. Yeah. As, uh, as it is in Canada. So, okay, recap for me where we're at because we've, we've been on quite <laughs> a journey all here. Over, yeah. Um, the, the companies that you own now and the shows that you produce now. Yeah. Recap them for me. Where, where are um, we at in 2019? In 2019, I am a part owner of Nordic Media. Okay. And we produce a lot of advertisement campaigns for a lot of, uh, people. Some small TV. You can check out our show, uh, on, I guess here in America, uh, Facebook, facebook.com slash chew on this. I think we got 300,000, uh, likes. You maybe? said chew on this? Yeah, chew on this. Cool. I do the voice of the host, Billy the Beaver. He is an American on a Canadian news television show. And Do you, so your, your Canadian <laughs> accent isn't super thick. No, no, I, uh, I've worked, worked very hard okay. to get rid of my boots. Do you, um, do you dial up your American accent when you're doing Billy the Beaver? Oh, yeah, y'all. 
give me a little more in your America. Okay, I'll, I'll give you the Billy the Beaver voice. All right, perfect. Uh, uh, welcome to Chew on This. This is uh, Billy the Beaver. And today we're going to be talking about Donald Trump in the UK and how he's making the United Kingdom great again. <laughs> so that is legitimately, if you go and check out Chew on This, that's Billy the Beaver's okay. voice. Do you? <laughs> does that wear out your voice at all? Does that blow it out? Uh, I so far I've been able to do it for an hour. Any longer than that, probably would blow it out. You get some diminishing returns after yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we we finished up to the point on Nordic. We do chew on this, and then I'm working with Inuit Media, uh, and we are doing uh, a cooking and health show uh, <laughs> called uh, The Best Medicine, where we're talking about like how current day people really misunderstand food it's the most abused drug in the world and the most underutilized medicine so absolutely i read a thing today i think about how vitamins are basically pointless and and you can get pretty much everything you need if you eat correctly well if you were to take a vitamin c pill that is 100% of your daily vitamin and take it and eat it you won't absorb 100% of your daily vitamin if you were to take an orange and eat it the fiber in the orange actually slows down the digestion process ah. enough so that you get full absorption in your lower intestine hmm. So uh, the big thing with the cooking show is you can get more out of a whole food. A supplement is meant exclusively to supplement, to not to replace. <laughs> gotcha. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I got some oranges over there. I'll probably get yeah. that up next. Okay. There's one in my girl's lunch pretty much every day. But then the the thing with this cooking show is we also want to appeal to people that are uh, vegan, that are celiac or gluten-free or kosher. Because if you're vegan good on you, be vegan, that's great, Mm -hmm. but you're going to be lacking in creatine, you're going to be lacking in glutamine, you're going to not have a lot of good sources for iron, so we're going to present meals that you can make very easily with very few ingredients to balance out your health. Wow, that sounds uh, sounds (laughs) exceptional. Uh, And where are you in the process of that one? Uh, We just got our initial funding, we got clear and open 10 grand, and we're uh, filming a pilot uh, we're actually going to film two pilots and then, uh, the network will come back with notes and then we'll go off with our final program. So nice. Does that, I, I mean, will you go to series then? Because uh, I know it doesn't work that way necessarily in America. <laughs> the contracts say yes, but then if we don't, I just get paid to not work. So whatever. Oh, okay. <laughs> Fat. Yeah. So i like most of the comedy that I do is about food. Yeah. I love food. And I always have. Well, I mean, you, the the clip I saw of the of the thing about Seven Eleven, the old one, you said. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it sounds like, a, and you just referenced Carl's Jr. It sounds like you're a fan of garbage food too, right? One hundred percent. Okay. And a lot of people go, "That's unhealthy," and that's a bad way to think of food. It develops a bad psychological relationship. The best way to think of food is this is nutrient dense or cal- uh, calorically dense. As long as you are getting all of your nutrients and everything, food should be fun. Like there are people that are like, I'll never eat cake because I used to be 300 pounds and I'm a hundred. You're going to live a unfulfilled life. Yeah. Food is great. Have food, (laughs) have cake. Just don't eat cake every day. Right. That's bad. Yeah. Anything is bad. Fish. The example of fish. Doctors say fish is healthy. Fish contains omega-3. Omega-3 and omega-6 are competitive. Your body can only absorb so much. Omega-3 is an anti-inflammatory. Omega-6 is a pro-inflammatory. Once again, weird conversation to be having with a comedian, but whatever. A lot of fish, very heavy, uh, a lot of heavy metals, a lot of mercury and stuff like that. So if you ate nothing but fish, you'll get mercurial poisoning, you'll mm-hmm. get iodine poisoning, you'll get a lot of bad things. Right. If you eat fish twice a week, 
you're going to have great times. If you eat a lot of freshwater fish like salmon, you're going to have great times. You're going to get a lot of omega-3s, which are anti-inflammatory. It's going to add to a lot of your health. That being said, just because it's healthy doesn't mean that's all you should eat. Right. You need variety in your diet. Well, it's a, it's a conversation I have a lot on this show. A weakness is just a strength overused. Yep. You know, I mean, if, if you do any one thing too much, it's going to be to your detriment eventually. Mm-hmm. Well, there was a, uh, audio book me and my wife were listening to, and I wish I could remember the name of it, but, uh, it talks about growth mindset versus fi- fixed mindset. Dude, I think my wife read this same book. Yeah. Where fixed mindset is like the world is scarcity, right? Yeah. Yeah. And growth mindset is there's enough for all of us. Like, let's all chase, yeah. let's expand the size of the pie, right? Yeah, Essentially. exactly. Like, yeah. I mean, I'm still to this day hungry and chasing down things, but I, I know that what I know today might be wrong tomorrow. Yeah. There are things that I was taught that were disproved. <laughs> right there. And like, that's, that's the thing. I love it when I write out a recipe and write all out all the health facts. And then my wife double checks it and is like, actually, this was disproved. Mm-hmm. And it's weird to say the, the biggest thing on my search history is PubMed. <laughs> <laughs> I am nice. a nerd. That's funny. Uh, a big thing is people, they have a hard time understanding health and getting information about health right. because there's so much misinformation. There's a famous bodybuilder doctor named Dr. Lane Norton who did a study called Push-Ups Are Bad For You. Mm. And what it was was people did 100 push-ups and then 10 minutes later they tried to do 100 and they couldn't. So they were like, oh, push-ups make you weaker. Study confirmed. <laughs> now that's that's a study. That's an actual study, but the thing is, that's not a peer-reviewed study. No. So when you send, when people are like quoting a study and stuff, there are studies from the Gatorade Institute of Hydration that say you should drink more Gatorade. Who would have thought? Hey, and I'm I'm into that. I <laughs> yeah. got it right here. Yeah. Who would have thought? But where's the money from that? Right. But then a peer-reviewed study, you can't be bought because it's reviewed by a panel of experts. Right. That are chosen randomly and are anonymous, so they can't be bought with money, and they're basically set there to disprove it. So I'm always looking at peer-reviewed studies. Of course. So uh, there are so many people that say like, oh, there's studies about Coca-Cola that uh, say that it's not bad and some that say that it's bad and Coca-Cola's invested money. And of course they have. They're a business. They want to make money. Yeah. So it's in their interest to make it look as good as it can. Now, is well, it healthy? Probably not. Well, and, and that's not to say that the studies that are funded by industries are necessarily wrong. Yeah. But it's important to balance out the side of the equation as well. Yeah. And, and gather, you know, make, make sure you're sort of doing a well-rounded mm-hmm. kind of um, analysis of yeah. any issue. It reminds me of something, too. Even, like, sometimes there are peer-reviewed studies in opposition. And it, it reminds me of this Lewis Black joke where he asked the audience, he was doing a whole riff about health, and he's like, is milk good or bad? And everyone in the audience is like, good, you know, bad. And and he goes, I rest my case. (laughs) Like, it's hard to know, man. Like, are are eggs good or bad? Every week it seems to be different. Yeah. I think, like, something like milk, something like eggs, it's probably good to include it in your diet every so often. If you get dogmatic about it, that's bad. Yeah, dogmatic about virtually anything is probably... There's always got to be change. Your body adapts and changes. Your mind adapts and changes. If you think about who you were 10 years before and 10 years before and 10 years before, and then you think, at what age could I have bought a gun or got married? Like, I was so dumb back then. I'm kidding, man. And even I had lunch with a former colleague. Uh, We hadn't worked together in almost five years. And I'm sitting down with him, and we had a really great conversation. It was really nice to reconnect, and I thought... You know, we are much different people than we were four years ago. Yeah. And in that environment in which we both found ourselves, I think 
you know, there was a little bit more friction, but now that we reconnected, we're two totally different people now. Mm -hmm. And that was really, really fun to do. Well, I think a a good thing too is, because as I grew, I slowly cut people out that were detrimental. Oh, yeah. And you have to. And it's painful because it's like, oh, I've known this person since grade school and everything, but it's like, oh, they're addicted to drugs and they set their garage on fire for money. It's like, this might not be the best (laughs) influence. So what I've done is I've tried to surround myself by people that are uh, much more positive influences because you slowly, it's a sociological trait. You slowly become the people around you. Yeah. Oh yeah. And you pick up on that. So big things that I started doing, I met my wife and, uh, I never wanted to get married and I met her and we clicked on such a level and we had such good communication mm-hmm. and we were like, we're going to go to couples therapy, not because we need it, but because I believe in preventative maintenance from my mechanic background. So we went there and we walked up and the person says, so what's the problem? And we said, what is the biggest problem you see with couples? We want to get ahead of them. (laughs) That had to be a mind trip for that counselor. Yeah. That counselor was like, why are you spending all this money? If like, there's nothing. And it's like, we want to get ahead of it. Wow. And it's the same thing with therapy. I go to therapy, Mm -hmm. not, not because I need it, but because I just don't want to break down on the side of the road. Right. Well, and it's not that you don't need it. Yeah. Like, so, I mean, (laughs) <laughs> to, to be clear about that, it's everyone needs it, or everyone, oh, yeah. it, it, everyone. Not that you need it, but it's useful to pretty much everyone. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, it's like when my grandfather uh, was alive. Uh, God rest. Uh, he told me every day go to bed when your pillow hits your head. Be a better man than when it came up. So I said, okay. So I was like, I'll just read. And then I was like, okay, I'll exercise. Okay. I'll learn another language. I'll, I'll grow spiritually. Like how, how does, cause he just gave me this broad term and I'm like, how do I grow in that yeah. way? And I've learned the way that I want to grow is usually not the way I need to grow. So if I'm like, I need to hit the gym, it's like, I'm already in great shape. Like that's not my biggest roadblock right now. Yeah. So it's hard. And I had to apply critical thinking, which we should teach that in school. Oh yes. my goodness. I had to apply critical thinking. Same as when I'm looking to disprove the health facts. I know I had to apply critical thinking to what is my biggest detriment? How do I improve? And the whole thing was like, I'm not honest with myself in communication. Mm. Let's go see a therapist. Nice. Yeah. That's pretty solid. Um, so we are rapidly approaching time. This is flown <laughs> by the way, <clears throat> and you're a fascinating guy. So I'm, I'm just thrilled that you reached out to me. Let's get back to comedy here for a minute because I love I love talking yeah. comedy. When you started, who did you pattern yourself after? I immediately patterned myself after Ryan Reynolds. Okay. I did the same inflection and heavy sarcasm and everything, and it was a nightmare. Yeah. And then I went through a big emotional crisis in my life, and I went on stage, uh, and it was, what was this, 2011 uh, Boxing Day. I went on stage. Okay. And I was just so open, honest, and vulnerable, and I recorded it, and it was a genuine connection with the audience, and I had never done that well before. Oh, wow. All right. Yeah. How, how long were you making like Ryan Reynolds? Uh, about, I would say, four months. Okay. A very unsuccessful comedy. <laughs> Um, but I mean, he's got a very fun sort of style to imitate, you know? Oh yeah. Like if you, if you see Deadpool, you're like, mm-hmm. man, I, I wish I thought like that, you know? Well, I, I just never wanted to pattern myself after another comedian oh, interesting. and get accused okay. of stealing their cadence. Yeah. 
So I was like, what is a good cadence that I could speak confidently in? Because when you get on stage, you are yourself and it's hard to be yourself and fail. So you had to like find a mask to wear to mm -hmm. sort of sort the blame somewhere else. I know Mike Birbiglia said when he started, he was doing a bad Mitch Hedberg impression. Yeah. I've met probably one of those in every city. <laughs> <laughs> Just a bad Mitch Hedberg. Yep. Yeah. That's funny. Mm -hmm. Or like an evolved version, uh, because I was listening to him recently. That same style of like just almost non sequitur jokes one after another is Dimitri Martin. Oh yeah. Who I his joke writing is just spectacular. Or Jezelnik. Anthony like, Jezelnik, yeah. Like his uh his joke writing is just superb. Which when you meet Anthony Jezelnik off stage, very different person, talks yeah. like a normal person, on stage talks like a robot, and it's because he like it's the same thing. You wear a mask to protect yourself. Right. And yeah. on stage we all amplify different parts of our personality. Of course. I mean I even did that when I was a corporate trainer. I do that to a certain extent on this show. Yeah. You know, I mean, we, we enact the different personas that we need to, and it's not to say they're inauthentic, but if they go too far afield, then they become inauthentic. It's a mental tool. Right. It's in your mental toolbox, and you go, hey, if I use this inflection, it'll get this point across clearer. If right. I, so it's, it's all of these different things. I have a joke on stage where I talk about going through a drive-through and ordering food and I, I got through the drive-through and completely forgot what I was ordering. So they go, what can I get you? And I go, chicken. And I know saying chicken like that makes <laughs> yeah. it funnier because I'm like, that's the inflection of a man that's like, he doesn't know how the word's going to end when he starts saying <laughs> right, it. <yeah. laughs> so it's, it's one of those things. And that's not how I talk normally, but of course in that joke, I'm like, that really adds to the, the funny. Yeah. That's, that's somewhere within you that you sort of yeah. dredge up. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, that's not you all the time. I'm a big professional wrestling fan. Oh yeah. I, I wish I wore my NWO shirt. Oh really? Really, you're wrestling guy? Classic wrestling guy. I so, love, I love the Attitude Era. That was incredible. So I'm both classic and still current. Um, but I listen to a lot of interviews with them, and they're all so nice. Like the best heels in the world, mm -hmm. the guys who play the biggest dicks, uh, are are just like sweethearts off stage. Like my current favorite guy is in WWE NXT, and his name is Adam Cole. Yeah, he's the cockiest dude out there. And you listen to him, he's like, yeah, I was always shy. I didn't like talking. But, like, he had that within him, and when it emerged, he found success with it. Like Chris Jericho. Like Jericho. You, and do you know why they're all so nice? They're grateful. That's yeah, their dream. Exactly, they're living yeah. their dream. Yeah. That, God, Jericho <laughs> is, like, my hero. Oh, he's incredible. Nicest guy in the world. You've met him? Yep. Wow, what's... Okay, so nicest guy in the world. What were I, the circumstances that you met him? Uh, there's a comedy show at the comic strip. We've had Mankind, Mick Foley come yeah, through. Yeah. We've had uh, Dolph Ziggler come through, Hacksaw Jim Duggan come through, Chris Jericho come through, and they all do, like, a 20-minute stand-up comedy thing. How's his so. stuff? Very good. Yeah. Very good. I'd expect he, nothing less. He's, oh, yeah. He's an amazing showman. Yeah. Because <laughs> in comedy, there's... Two sides of it. You are both a painter and a painting because you have to f craft your jokes and then present your jokes. And I see in wrestlers an amazing presenter. Mm -hmm. Sometimes their own material, but sometimes other people's material. And in comedy, there are some people, like you can look at Louis C.K. or something, a very good mind at writing jokes, but he's very nonchalant in how he presents his information. Yeah. And then you can look at somebody like Chris Rock or Kevin Hart or something where they are just all over the stage, bouncing with energy, just presenting this. And it's usually about finding a balance between the two. But if you're really good at one, you know what your weakness is. you got to yeah. fix the other one. 
Well, it's, uh, I mean, you mentioned Chris Rock or Kevin Hart. Another one I'd add to that list is like John Mulaney. Oh, yes, kid gorgeous. Yeah, who has amazing writing, mm-hmm. but, like flawless writing, but unbelievably poised delivery and execution. Oh, yeah. He's basically a news anchor. He's got the yeah. clear cadence of everything he says, and he really he wants to focus on clarity of information <laughs> yes. the whole time. So. And, and it's exquisite to watch. Whereas you're right, Louis C.K. It uh, who you know is not necessarily in a favorable public light yep. for good reason. Yeah, I would say <laughs> yes. You but, shouldn't do that. <laughs> but in terms of watching his craft, it all looks so shambling and like taped together. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's sort of like he's doing it off the cuff. But you go, no, you know what? That's all on purpose. Yeah. Um. And and that persona is really hard to pull off to make. Mm-hmm. It's it's like when you watch uh, something like Dirty Dancing. And that one chick is, uh, is singing terribly. Oh, yeah. But, but you can tell she's a great singer and trying, like, singing off key. Intentionally. Yeah. yeah. There's, I think that there's a lot of very good comedians out there that have gotten into, uh, found success doing one thing and that's just how they're going to be forever. Yeah. And there are some comedians. I think Bill Burr has grown a lot. He's got his angry guy sort of thing, but he has a lot of jokes he does without being angry, and he just executes it perfectly. I think he's a person that's very hard to put in a box. Yeah. So One I, of my dad's favorites, by the way. Oh, yeah. He's phenomenal. You've got him on your Facebook page, don't you? Yeah. As, uh, I, every Father's Day, I post a photo of him and say, Happy Father's Day, Bill Burr. Do you tag him? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Has he ever responded? Um, the one time I I met him at the Jubilee, he was doing a theater show, and I uh, walked up afterwards and was like, just so you know, I tag you every Father's Day. And he goes, oh, I know. <laughs> and I was like, okay. You're like, fantastic. Wonderful. That's great. Uh, him and uh, I think it's in the heat, but like that whole Boston family thing that they do. Mm-hmm. Where it's like him and uh, who's that other comedian? He's like, yeah, this is my puppy. It's Kevin Garnett. Oh man! Like, uh, yeah. And they're all yelling at each other. That that had me on the floor. Just that oh, whole yeah. family dynamic. I can't remember the other guy's name, but anyway, okay. <laughs> we we got to wrap this up before we just start talking comedy for the next two hours because I know you got to get going. I am the most easiest podcast guest in the world <laughs> clearly yeah. um because we had plenty to talk about i cannot believe the amount of real estate we covered in this hour well, we talked a little bit about entrepreneurial mm-hmm. growth we talked a little bit about uh coming up hungry and being grateful we talked about uh working at working somewhere to buy part of to be an owner and a thing that you're making and a little bit about uh creativity yeah uh, well, and you recap the thing for me too. You're doing my job for me. <laughs> but, uh, I'm gonna ask you for one more thing. Uh, do the, uh, do the plugs here, man. Where can people get in touch with you? Where can they find you? Plug anything you want. Uh, I'm kind of inactive on social media and a lot of people follow me thinking, oh, he's a comedian, but I'm more of a person. I post photos of my dogs and stuff. I'm nice. on, uh, Instagram and Facebook and, uh, Twitter, Nick McQuick. Uh, McQuick is M-C-Q-U-I-K. There's no C in K. People get very confused. Yeah. I gotta ask you, did you do that intentionally or is that your real name? Uh, no, it is a pseudonym. Okay. Is, uh... Why exclude the second C? Because my last name is E-K-S-T-R-O-M and people always want to put the C in there. For me, uh, and little story, I'll summarize it as quick as I can. Uh, my mom's side, very Irish Catholic. My mom's brother, uh, came out as a homosexual man. Her father, my grandfather, disapproved of it. Uh, he was removed from the family and his name was Brian McQuick, spelt mm. that way. And I beat him in a foot race. So <laughs> I, even before I was a comedian, was like Nick McQuick. Oh, nice. Yeah. All right. 
Well, that's a cool story. I'm sorry we had to shoehorn that in at the end. <laughs> um, but, uh, okay. You, uh, so Facebook, oh. Instagram. Yeah. And anywhere in the world you can check out my show. We're just wrapping up season two. Uh, when I get back to town, I've got three more episodes to shoot. Uh, facebook.com slash chew on this. I'm Billy the Beaver. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, Nick McQuick, this was an enormous pleasure. A fantastic show. Thank you for reaching out to me. And, uh, also thanks for the coffee. <laughs> no. uh, you, you're one of the first to show up with sort of it's like hey i didn't even ask for coffee i'm a canadian we have to be kind or we go to guantanamo bay <laughs> <laughs> especially under this administration all right mm-hmm. fair enough man uh thanks for being on the show and uh continued success to you yeah and you too man that'll do it for episode 217 of the john of all trades podcast thank you nick mcquick for reaching out to me being a guest on my show, sitting down with me for an hour, it was an absolute delight. I know you're going to crush it in whatever you do. You've got that burning entrepreneur fire, and it's good for my soul to connect with people like you. Check out Nick on all his channels, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, the show Chew On This. All those will be linked in the companion blog piece that goes with this episode. That's johnofalltrades.us, J-O-N of alltrades.us. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, billion other podcatchers hit that subscribe button you won't miss episodes like this when they come directly to your listening device and you don't even have to do anything america's the land of the free feel free to be lazy and get shows delivered exactly to you our sponsor is four degrees the number four d-e-g-r-e dot e-s if you're doing anything online trying to reach new audiences trying to get your product service candidate of the right group of people, Four Degrees will not only help you with the message, but get it on the channels where those people are. They will connect your message with the right audience and move the needle on whatever it is you're doing online. Number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Next week, 4th of July, I'm off. But in two weeks, I will have a brand new episode. It's a good one. I've got guests booked coming up really pretty far out. So expect a constant stream of content from the John of All Trades podcast thrilled to bring this show to you it's a pleasure it's a privilege i adore you for listening and until i hear you back here again say good night that's good johnny